The human gut microbiome, an ecosystem of trillions of bacteria, plays a critical role in our health, interacting intimately with our diet. Despite a surge in microbiome research over the past decade, our understanding of this gut bacteria remains nascent. However, this research has uncovered links to various health aspects, including gastrointestinal and autoimmune disorders, oncology, metabolic diseases, longevity, and mental health, translating this rapidly evolving science into practical patient benefit has been challenging due to microbiome's complexity. Jonah, under the leadership of Leo Grady, a health technology and an AI expert with extensive academic experience, is pioneering this frontier. Their revolutionary AI technology analyzes individual microbiome profiles by extensively reading the current scientific literature, interpreting the microbiome data, and synthesizing current scientific understanding. This approach offers personalized insights, enabling individuals to comprehend their health at a fundamental level, alleviate symptoms, and prevent chronic disease. Join us today as we delve into the fascinating topic with Leo Grady whose expertise at Jonah is unlocking new understanding of gut microbiome's impact on our health. This episode is brought to you by Mesh AI. Mesh AI is a scheduling software for healthcare workers, including medical students, residents, physicians, and nurses. It alleviates administrative burden by leveraging AI algorithms for scheduling shifts. Mesh AI automates the creation of equitable schedules, efficiently assigns the most suitable staff for each shift, and facilitate easy shift training among healthcare professionals. Mesh AI is more than just a scheduling tool. It's specifically designed to cater to the unique training requirements of each residency program. By integrating advanced features, it not only manages the schedules, but also supports the specialized training needs of healthcare professionals, ensuring that the training needs of each residency program are met. Welcome back to Delta, where we interview researchers, policymakers, and startup founders, anything who's making a Delta or a change in healthcare. Welcome, Leo. I'm so happy to have you here with me today. Thank you, Rupan. Really excited to be here. I'm very excited as well to learn from you. Um, so can you tell me a bit about the story about b- behind Jonah's inception? How did you start the company and how did it come about? Well, my father is a virologist, so I, I grew up around microbiology and I went into AI and ultimately into healthcare. And, you know, really, I, I did my PhD in AI 20 years ago. I spent my career in healthcare building AI products in radiology and cardiology and pathology. But the microbiome has really been fascinating for me that whole time. I've have members of my family who have Crohn's disease, colitis, celiacs, and I've just seen the the patient journey from their side. And then all this amazing science has been coming out showing that the microbiome really underpins your health in a very profound way, you know, linking to everything from food allergies and gut health to oncology, to drug response, to obesity and longevity, and even Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, depression, anxiety, have all been linked with the microbiome. And, and then 
microbiome transplants have really been miraculous for some people in curing chronic disease. Other people it doesn't work for, and other people have died actually from microbiome transplants. And what this says to me is that this is really, really powerful stuff, but we don't understand it and we don't really know how to harness it. And I think a lot of that has to do with the complexity of the microbiome. You have bacteria and fungus, and viruses, and even the different strains can, can have a different behavior in the body. And that composition can also change over time and, and react to you know, different medications you take and lifestyle choices. And so it really felt to me like this complexity was going to be difficult to decode unless we bring to bear the kind of technology that I've been building my career, uh, which is AI. And one of the superpowers of AI has really been to be able to synthesize complexity, to understand complex patterns, and then really be able to um, produce actionable information uh, from all of that complexity. Yeah, I can't agree more. I think when uh, scientists started discovering uh, human organs, one of the organs they miss is the microbiome. It's, it's an organ by itself, and it has a huge effect, a huge effect, and it's something close to my heart. Even like the treatment of cancer can be affected by the microbiome. One of the my mentors, when I, when I was back in Canada, I worked with, they published a paper about the relationship of microbiome and treatment of brain cancer. Right. Um, so it is very fascinating field. Well, you know, it's funny because I hear people talk about the microbiome like, like a new organ, right? And as you point out, I mean, it, it behaves in many ways like an organ. Um, but me coming from, from vision and, and from uh, radiology, you know, I'm used to the kind of organs that you can take an MRI of or a CAT scan and you could see and you can do surgery on. And, and I think if the microbiome is a new organ, it's, it's really an organ of data. And if it's an organ of data, this is why I think that AI is the right technology to be able to interrogate that organ. And, you know, I tell the team at Jonah, we're, we're building the MRI of, of the microbiome. You know, <laughs> I that love that. So you should be able to look at it and really understand it at the same level through the technology that we're building. Gotcha. And um, when we, so we're talking about the technology, um, how does Jonah's technology uniquely able to analyze and interpret the individual's microbiome? How, how does it work? So we offer a microbiome service. Uh, this is where we're starting. And it includes a microbiome test. Uh, it's a test kit. We ship it to your house. Uh, oh, wow. Stool sample. We send it back to the lab. We do deep shotgun metagenomic sequencing. Mm -hmm. We identify all the bacteria, the fungus, the viruses, the protists, the archaea, everything in your gut down to a strain level. And then the challenge in interpreting that data is that the microbiome literature is growing really fast. So yes. every single month, there are more than 2,000 papers published in PubMed on the microbiome. Nobody can read all of these. So what we did is we built a large language model of mm -hmm. form of AI to read all of these papers. And then when we get that microbiome sample data from the shotgun metagenomic sequencing, then the AI can go through the literature and summarize for you and say, Rupen, here are all the diseases that have been linked with your microbiome. Here are all the allergies that have been linked with your microbiome. Wow. Here are all the symptoms that have been linked with your microbiome. Cite the studies so you can go read it, tell you how much evidence there is. 
And then if there's something that you want to change about your microbiome, uh, then the AI can go through the literature and figure out what you can do about it. Could be diet, could be lifestyle, could be supplements, and really summarize for you all of the actions that you could take and build you a personalized action plan to help you achieve your goals. This is fascinating. Like we are empowering patients through this kit. We are telling them like, this is what you have and this is what your risk of depending on not only your, not the genes, we're talking about different predictive markers now. We're talking about the microbiome. That's right. And, and just to be clear, I mean, this is not a diagnostic test. I mean, it is matching with the literature. These are all associations. Um, but for somebody who is uh, having health issues and wants to uh, see if there's anything, any answers in their microbiome, and if the AI can say, hey, your microbiome fits the profile that's been observed for Hashimoto's disease or for Crohn's disease or for lupus or for whatever it is, um, that may be a clue that can help somebody start a conversation with their doctor to ultimately lead to a diagnosis. Or for somebody like me, who's generally healthy, but likes to keep an eye on their, their health, you know, I'm one of those people that does like the full body MRI scans and all that <laughs> kind of thing. You know, your microbiome carries a lot of information about your body and your current state of health. And by checking your microbiome against all of this literature can help provide a profile of, of your current health. And then if you do need to move it in one direction or another, the guidance to be able to do so. Yeah, and I just want to clarify also like for our, all our listeners that even in medicine, I practice medicine on a day-to-day basis. We read literature and we practice evidence-based medicine. We cannot or we don't like to prove causality. It's usually, or 99% of the time, it's association. So if you have risk factor one, two, three, you are more likely to develop outcome four, five, six. It's always... Uh, association it's not causality most of the fields in medicine i would not say not 100 because you're not, not always sure 99 percent of the risk factors and the outcomes it's a association it's not causality right yeah and where are you guys like when it comes to the fda uh lots of health tech star, uh, companies like struggle with the fda where are you uh, when it comes to the fda right now so at previous companies, I've built multiple FDA-approved AI systems that have been medical devices and then launched into the clinic. And in fact, one of the companies that I worked at, Heartflow, it was the first time Medicare had ever paid for an AI product in healthcare. Oh, wow. With Jonah, though, with this initial product, this is really a wellness product. Uh, it's not a regulated product because it's not a diagnostic. It's not a medical device. It's you could read all of these papers in theory and you should come to the same conclusion. It's just that the AI is reading the papers for you, bring that information forward, and then linking you to those papers so that you can go read it yourself. So it's, it's not a medical device um, because it's not a diagnostic. And as a result, it, it does not require FDA approval for this initial product. In the future is we're able to, to gather more microbiome data and really see the relationship between people's microbiome and different diseases, we do intend to build clinical diagnostics uh, and companion diagnostics and biomarkers. Those would go through a normal process of clinical trial and FDA, and, and those would be medical devices, but not for this product. Oh, I'm very excited to see this. Uh, it could be like a different test, a different markers. 
that help us to, especially in my field, like if there is something else to help me to choose a treatment option, that would be awesome. Well, you know, I think one of the exciting things in, in cancer specifically is that the microbiome has the potential to help in, in three different stages, right? And exactly. in both early detection, right, of a lot of, you know, the colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, liver cancer, gastric cancer, clangio, all of these have been linked uh, with changes in the microbiome. And so there's there's a hope that we would be able to build early detection systems by looking at the composition of your microbiome. You mentioned treatment selection. Uh, we were talking before we went on air. Uh, there are studies that have shown that looking at somebody's microbiome pretreatment can help better select uh, the most effective treatment. And so I think there's an opportunity for precision medicine and treatment selection. Mm -hmm. And then there's another part, which is the post-treatment recovery. You know, as you know, people who go through cancer treatment go on a lot of antibiotics, they, they go through chemotherapy. It really wipes out their, their microbiome in many ways. And there are a lot of people that ultimately develop GI issues. You know, they beat the cancer, but then they develop GI issues after. And so the, um, you know, the fact is that by understanding somebody's microbiome, early and later really allows us to be able to you know potentially have somebody recover from cancer treatment in a more effective way and can i ask you like about the cost if i'm an individual i'm very interested in this like how much does it cost me to get the kits and get tested so the price is 485 um for the test and the the ai analysis five dollars um, 485 485 and, um, and we we've been running sales recently that bring the price down to 395 at the moment nope. on our website yeah i think we increase production especially like this is a test that you usually get one time or maybe in if there is a major change in your health it will be multiple times so i think it's very reasonable for one time test only and with all that data and information yeah and i you know, for somebody like me that that wants to keep an eye on their health, you know, maybe do it once a year. Um, if somebody is having active health issues and wants yeah. to make yeah. an active change in their microbiome, they may want to do it more frequently. Um, but we really want to be able to, as we think about the the roadmap in the future, we want to be able to create custom meal plans for you based on your health goals and your microbiome custom recipes. You know, using the generative AI to really produce. A whole variety of different uh, capabilities for the user. Gotcha. Um, so now I want to shift gears a bit and uh, talk more about you. I want to learn uh, from from you today. So, what inspired you to go through the this health technology, and especially when, when it comes to Jonah, like what inspired you to start this company specifically? Well, since I did my PhD um, twenty years ago, I've really had in mind that my motivation has really been to use AI to transform health. Um, I've really felt that AI was an incredibly powerful technology and had the opportunity to have a tremendous impact in healthcare in so many different ways. And that was that was 20 years ago. Mm. And when I joined Siemens, uh, my belief was that if we built really clever AI and radiology, that we could transform radiology. And what I found is that uh, the technology was not enough. You, know, you really mm -hmm. need to understand mm -hmm. yeah. the, 
user experience, and the workflow, and the um, the the you know patient journey, and all these different things in order to build highly impactful healthcare. And so then I went to HeartFlow, and it was the same mission of using AI to really transform healthcare and have dramatic impact. And we did in in cardiology. Um, but there I learned, you know, the importance of clinical trials and the FDA and reimbursement <laughs> and coding and the, the fun American stuff. Medical Association, all that stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's really the fun stuff. I call them the most frustrating. Well, it's important and, and it's there for a reason. Yes. Uh, it was, it was very long and challenging and expensive road. Mm -hmm. And so when I had the opportunity to be CEO of page AI uh, here in New York, which is building AI and pathology, it seemed like an opportunity to potentially bring that technology forward mm -hmm. faster. And we had multiple FDA approvals. We had the first FDA approval for an AI system in pathology. Um, we launched these products in North America, Europe, and Brazil. And the, that company is still going really well. It seemed to me that, uh, but I wasn't the founder of that company. And I felt that um, starting the company uh, with the right mix of technology and business plan and the right uh, mix of investors was really what was going to drive the kind of outsized impact that I was looking for. So I spent some time on the VC side for a while, working with Jim Breyer, helping him invest in AI companies in healthcare. And then I tackled Jonah because I felt that the microbiome was the, the greatest opportunity to make dramatic impact with the kind of technology that I was an expert in. I agree. I agree. Like, I think um, people like get scared from AI and they say, oh, like if you're using AI, you're not going to think and the machine will do thinking for you. Well, it's not like that. Like right. if you use AI, first you're going to augment your skills and then you're going to leverage that time that you spend on all the skills. You're going to learn the new things. New challenges will come. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's like saying, you know, you shouldn't use a calculator because it makes you dumb. It's like exactly. It's a, it's a tool. <laughs> And thank God we've got calculators and thank God yes. we've got computers and it doesn't make us uh, stupid. It just, it's a tool that allows us to do more faster and more accurately. And I think people get caught up in the the kind of, you know, human versus machine, uh, like AI going to replace humans. And I really think like that entire conversation is, is misguided. I mean, you, it's much better to think of this technology as an enhancement a tool for humans to do their jobs better. And I think the the doctor of the future is going to be able to draw from much more sources of information, put it together much more systematically. But at the end of the day, they're still the one practicing medicine. Yeah. Leo, you've been through a lot and uh, I was very like uh, impressed by going through LinkedIn. The, we, we, I, I think if people haven't gone to Jonah's website, guys, you should go. It's an amazing website. I just like, I love staring at it. It's amazing. But like, you've been here and uh, you learned a lot. What mistakes have you done? And like, if, if you want to like, tell me two or three big mistakes in your lifetime. So the younger version of you won't make if going through that journey again, what would it be? Um, gosh, I mean, I, I, I can make, um, I can say things on a few different levels. Um, let me start with one that's a little bit surprising. I think there's a high importance to firing people that aren't working out. 
-hmm. And earlier in my career, I really tried very hard not to fire people uh, because I felt really guilty. And I thought, you know, this person's got a family, they're going to go home. Like, it's really devastating for them. And then, you know, from time to time, I, I had to, uh, for one reason or another, somebody I really wanted to fire ended up leaving. And what I noticed every time that that happened was that the rest of the team really elevated and like they got better. And they, you know, people who are real stars in the team just didn't have like the oxygen to grow and to get better. And it really caused me to shift my perception away from focusing on the individual who was was struggling and not, you know, living up to to what what was expected and really shifted my focus to the rest of the team and the impact it was having on the team that somebody was like holding them down and holding them back and like sucking yeah. up oxygen that that real stars in the team could could breathe and, and jump into. And when I made that shift in my my uh, thinking to really focus on the the people who were performing, the people who were really like elevated rather than on the individual who was not, uh, I think it allowed me to grow much better teams, uh, to be a much greater leader uh, for teams and, and to give people the room to grow that they they needed. And look, I mean, don't get me wrong, like I, I do not like firing people. I, I, you, I think you have to be a psychopath if you like it. Um, and I don't, and I, I don't do it lightly either. Um, but I've realized as a leader, you have an obligation to being able to step up and, you know, go through that motion if it's what's right for the greater team. Yeah, I can't agree with you. I think I can't remember the book's name right now, but it's written by Jim Collins. Put the right oh, people. Good to great. Good to great. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Put the right people on the bus. And it's something I hear yeah. again and again and again. I can't agree more. I think another mistake that a lot of founders make is, is really understanding uh, invest, investors and mm -hmm. investment needs. You know, I think it's, it's really important if you're going to be taking VC money, which you often have to do in healthcare because, um, unless you're like launching a, you know, like a service or something that you can kind of get going without a lot of capital investment. It's really a technology company. You often need some investment just to kickstart things, but you really need to understand uh, VCs. You need to really think through how much capital you really need and how you're going to use it and to, um, and to be very selective in who you bring on as an investor um, when you are, are building your company. Because taking too much money, taking too little money, taking money from the wrong people, not understanding the VC's motivations, somebody who wants like a quick flip into you know, a, a market, like you can really cause yourself a lot of problems if you don't understand that world. Uh, and you, you really need to if you're gonna build something in technology and healthcare. Yeah, I even wrote a post about it. Not every money uh, is created equally. Different money comes with different responsibility. Angel right. investors' money is different from PE money, is different from VC money, is different from family office money. 
Yes. And even within those categories, you know, different VCs are different, different family offices are different, different PE firms are different. Um, and and you don't want to take too much and you don't want to take too too little either. Yeah. yeah. Um, beside, uh, so, so you mentioned one of the techniques to um, build your team uh, or like mistakes you've done. Um, I, I want to shift gear because like, it, it is similar to the same, uh, in the, we are talking about it's still in the same area. When you build a team, when you hire people, what are the things that you look for? Look for four things. Uh, I'm always looking for competence, mm -hmm. um, you know, capability of doing the job, right? Uh, second thing is the um, capacity to learn. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody who's really able to, to learn quickly and adapt. Uh, the third is, is energy level. Um, you really want somebody who's an energy giver and not an energy sink. And then the fourth is character. Um, somebody that you can trust, somebody that you want to work with, somebody that shares the values of the, the company and the organization that you're trying to build. And I think the best hires in my experience are people who are, are going to be entering a job where they're stretching, right? So you don't want to hire somebody who is doing a job that they've been doing for, for 30 years and it's like old, old hat because they're going to be bored. They're going to import bad habits. They're not going to have like a fresh pair of eyes. Uh, and you don't want to bring somebody in who's like completely incapable of, of doing what needs to get done. But somebody who's who's a really solid person with a strong capacity to learn, who who's never quite done what you're asking them to do, but it's going to be like fresh and they're going to have to stretch and they're really going to have to level up, uh, but just one level, just like level up a bit uh, when they join. I really find that that is the the best type of person to bring into a role and the, the kind of person who's going to be really excited and motivated and creative uh, and, and wonderful to work with. Yeah, I agree. I love that. I think you have to find the, the sweet balance between someone who's just coming to do the work and get uh, get paid and go home and versus someone who is really contributing who, who wants to grow in that place to grow their own brand to become a better person become a better version more experienced 100 and uh, throughout your career have you had like any mentors or people who influenced you and affected your career trajectory oh very much very much uh, i mean obviously i had a phd advisor when i, I did my phd a long time ago um he was fantastic um at siemens i i had a number of, of wonderful mentors uh many of whom I, I still keep in touch with uh at heartflow the founder of heartflow charlie taylor um you know is one of the the smartest and the most wonderful people i've ever had the opportunity to work with and um and at, at page i had some some great investors and and great colleagues uh you know i had the, the fortune to work with jim Breyer, uh helping him invest in ai companies in healthcare and he's really he's he's the top of the the vc world and and for a reason i mean he's really incredible um you know page was his first healthcare investment and he's since gone on to do a number of healthcare investments particularly around the theme of ai and healthcare and he's He's now a world expert in this topic, um, but coming from 
you know, a, a long career in, in the tech industry, the traditional tech industry. And um, so it's been really amazing to to work with him and to get to know him and and um, and still today, you know, I mean, there's many of these former mentors I keep in touch with. And I always try to carve out time for, for people who are earlier in their career where I can help them as well. That's so sweet. Um, that's really nice. Uh, re remembering those people, name and chapter by chapter, like means a lot. Yeah, well, they, they meant a lot to me. And I think, you know, one of the hallmarks of, of mentors is it's a, it's a two-way street, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you want to, like, they, they offer to help you in one way or another. And they have a lot of experience and wisdom to share. Um, but like you are also helping them, you know, with either the, the work that they're doing or keeping them abreast of something or bringing them things. And so it, it is a two way street. Um, but, you know, when you're in that junior position, you have different things to offer than the, the wisdom and the mentorship that, that they do. Gotcha. And uh, my last question would be, so you grew lots of companies and uh, now you're growing John and, and scaling it. So what strategies you think help you the most when it comes to scaling Jonah from its, to, from its start to where it is right now? Well, it's still, still young. It's, you know, I only started the company uh, a little over a year ago. Um, so we're still, we're, we're still early at the moment. Mm -hmm. It's really, you know, it's trite to say, but it really comes down to people and speed of, of execution, um, speed of, of product innovation, um, really spending time in the market, getting to know your customers, iterating quickly, uh, knowing when to launch, not waiting too long, not going too early, and uh, launching with the right product at the right, at the right time. Um, you know, then you need to be adaptable and scrappy as, as situations change because especially a company at this stage um very hard to predict what's going to happen a year from now uh mm -hmm. you know when i was at siemens we had a pretty good idea of what was going to happen a year from from now um you know we didn't necessarily know exactly everything or you know we were certainly steering the battleship in one direction or another at a company earlier than that you know you have to constantly be measuring the signals externally be aware of, of what's happening and then to be able to react and, and move quickly uh, when you see opportunity. Awesome. Great. Yeah, those were my questions. And thank you so much. That was very insightful. And I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you, Rupan. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you.